Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, where we feature expert thought leaders and cover the best strategies, stories, and psychology you need to land big ticket clients. Because as you know, you can't catch a whale with a worm. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, and it is my pleasure and honor to introduce you to Evan Kerstel, a social media influencer and digital B2B practitioner. Evan, how are you doing today? I am living the dream. Thanks so much, and thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. And Evan, I, I think you mentioned that you're calling from uh, warm Boston today. <laughs> we are uh, enjoying climate change up here in New England. And, um, but in all seriousness, beautiful summers. Uh, don't come back in the winter, though. That's a little tough up here. Yeah, yeah. And I, I already told you uh, I'm not because I, I lived in Minnesota for 25 years. I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's a tough ride. I'm, I'm glad you landed in Austin. <laughs> Absolutely. So Evan, you know, you are an extremely interesting uh, person to me, um, and partially because part of your professional business title is influencer. And for a lot of people who have heard, you know, the term influencer, we always think of, you know, maybe uh, famous stars or people who are doing branding online. And we, we don't realize that you are making so much success as an influencer without necessarily having been a, a star on Star Trek or something like that. I mean, you, you've got clients like AT&T that have used you as a social media in influencer. You have a following of over 400,000 people on social media. First of all, how did you become a social media influencer? This is powerful stuff. Well, thanks for that, and thanks for the kudos. And I promise I wasn't involved in the fire Festival uh, whatsoever, and I, I don't sell beauty products. Um, but essentially, everyone influences someone, and it just happens I've been around the world of enterprise IT, enterprise technology for, for 25 years, and I built an audience and a point of view. And that point of view and perspective is of interest to brands. And so I've managed to build uh, quite a, a range of unique client relationships based on that um, perspective and background and audience. Powerful stuff. So, so you said that you uh, were uh, in corporate technology sales. T take us back to uh, being in that world and, and why you wanted to leave that for entrepreneurship. Well, I, I think I had a good run, 25 years in enterprise technology sales and biz dev and alliances from big tech companies like Intel and Oracle to startups and everything in between. And frankly, I think I got a bit burned out, uh, tired of the rat race, tired of uh, cube life, tired of uh, mergers and, and layoffs and, and the ups and downs that is corporate America. And so really um, decided to strike out as an independent five years ago and, and haven't looked back. You know, you know, it's interesting on most tax forms or most places you go to try to apply for anything, they ask you, what is your job? And they mean, who is your employer? And they, they don't really realize that there are so many people like yourself and myself who are proudly entrepreneurs, right? It's like, you know, we find a freedom and a level of success here that makes the past look <laughs> rather like we don't want to ever go back there. But how, how did you make that leap the very first time? Because obviously when you first start out as an entrepreneur, rarely do people find the same success as where they came from. How did you make that very first leap from safety to this unpredictable world? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I, would, I would suggest people go slow and deliberately and have a plan and test the waters. 
And when I was starting what was a side hustle, it was sort of a novel concept. Now everyone has a side hustle. And I really encourage it, no matter what your job or your role or your, your level, uh, your interest, to have one or multiple side hustles, uh, something you're really passionate about to the core and can monetize at the same time is a really powerful thing. And it's a lifelong uh, learning activity as well. So start there, start small, and build and grow upon it. And so that's what I did. And at some point, it became a, a pretty easy decision to, uh, to strike out uh, and do my own thing. Now, did, did you have any support or mentorship along the way that sort of, you know, guided you as you made that transition? Because I'll tell you, one, one of the things that I struggled with was I didn't have any mentors. There's no one around who told me, hey, you can do this, you know, believe in this and that and do this, take, take a left, take a right here. Did you have any support that way or did you sort of fumble through it like I did? <laughs> there was definitely a lot of fumbling and, and I would advise everyone to, to get advice. The beauty of social media, I find uh, the upside and there are lots of downsides we're all aware of, but the upside is finding like-minded individuals with whom to collaborate. And, and sort of building your tribe. And I was able to really create or build a network of folks much like myself uh, all over the world who were doing what I was doing. And we've come together, not in a, in, a, in a company, but in a loose federation or collaboration. And they've been my support network and collaborators. And so, you, you know, find your tribe, build a tribe, and you'll have someone to, uh, to lean on, you know, and someone to... to you know, you won't have coworkers necessarily, but but you'll have those collaborators, which are just as important. Absolutely. So so here we are today. You are successfully uh, marketing yourself and supporting clients as an influencer and a digital uh, practitioner. Tell us a little bit about the kind of uh, customers and clients that you deal with. You know, in the B two B space, um, and what problems they have that you help them solve. Well, it's interesting. I started off with a perspective, well, I'm going, to hunt, uh, I'm going to help a bunch of startups and early stage companies, small companies, mom and pop companies with their social and digital practice. And, and that, that happened and that was interesting and fun and, and, um, and lucrative in a net net. But what really became interesting is when big brands uh, started to approach me and to collaborate with me on their events and content creation and helping them with uh, reach and exposure on digital and social media. And uh, that was a surprise. You know, I hadn't imagined a company like an AT&T or an Intel or an IBM would need the help of a solopreneur, a solo practitioner. And that was a really nice uh, discovery. And it really allowed me to explode my, my personal income and revenue, focusing not just on the local mom and pop clients, as it were, but really large blue chip global companies who needed as much help, if not more, than those startups we, we, we all know and love. So, you know, look for those, those lions, those elephants. Uh, those uh, whales. I, I like those, those whales, you know, whatever you want to call them, because they're out there and they're, they're hard to find, but um, it's definitely worth the chase. And so that was an interesting discovery of, um, you know, how to build this business into something very meaningful. You know, I, I love how you, you, you characterize that as a discovery, which means it wasn't immediately obvious or apparent. You, you actually had to, 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 to find it. Um, you know, in, in my book, uh, Big Ticket Clients, which we, we talked about a little bit here, that is exactly what I, I went through, which was I discovered that you actually have to make a conscious decision 
um, to focus on and target big ticket clients if you want that outcome. A lot of people, what we see online, a lot of people are marketing to us as though everybody wants to sell to the individual coach or the individual you know, uh, consultant. And that, that's what marketing seems to be about online. But this account-based approach, this focused big company approach is actually very lucrative, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, big companies, frankly, are lost when it comes to many things, but digital and social media is one of them. And uh, surprisingly, have their hands tied when it comes to social media and engagement. And so working with outsiders provides them a new perspective and insights. And many companies are trying to be more innovative and creative. And, uh, you know, freelancing and, and outsourcing is a known model to them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not looked at as unusual or different or abnormal to bring in outside talent, mm-hmm. whether it's for day weeks or projects or even annual retainers um, that can last years. And, and so keep an open mind if you're talking with or pursuing clients. Uh, don't uh, write them off just because they seem like a big company that might be hard to tackle. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier on that you've, you've built sort of a network, if you will, of fellow influencers or like-minded um, professionals. Um, I know that you've been building something called Influencer Squared. Can you tell us a little bit about what Influencer Squared is going to be all about? Yeah, it's really a network of like-minded industry experts who, um, you know, have big social media audiences who are content creators and have industry perspective and combined our, our sort of energy and power and audience is much more uh, effective and, and meaningful than uh, individuals. So that's the individ- uh, influencer squared. So the impact of multiple influencers and uh, multiple engagers, multiple contact creators working in concert is much more meaningful to a brand than just, uh, you know, finding right. one person here or there. So together with some collaborators like, uh, you know, Des Blanchfield and Kevin Jackson and others, we've been really able to move the needle on some very big events and, um, you know, sometimes get 40, 50, 60% share of voice at an event that might have 100,000 people. Now, I know that sounds pretty scary and, and, uh, and, and bizarre, but that's the reality of the power of social and digital these days. You know, I, I love the way you position that. And by the way, I wish you the best on Influencer Squared. I think it is a powerful, powerful concept. Um, can you tell us, can you just maybe peel the onion off a little bit and tell us a little bit about what I like to call the psychology behind, you know, influencer um, campaigns or why people care about influencer campaigns? You know, do you have a methodology that makes influencer campaigns work better than, you know, a company just advertising out there by themselves? Yeah, I think the, the key with organic social and digital reach is engagement. So we focus on real, meaningful engagement with our audience, with our followers, who we built up this sort of relationship with over a decade. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, paid social is, is certainly effective, but it doesn't get that feedback loop. It doesn't create uh, one-on-one conversations that are interesting. It doesn't uh, yield insights into, you know, partners or prospects or analysts or journalists that are out there on social media. And so influencers bring, you know, that independent perspective 
and also they bring an audience that sort of they know and and love in many ways uh, uh, to to the table yeah. and so that uh, you know it's possible to build products and campaigns and events around those audiences and those insights and and so it's much more in the b2b tech world than selling a product or here click in a link and buy this you know that's fine in the b2c world mm-hmm. but in the b2b it's all about thought leadership relationship building branding and and uh you know a dialogue and that's what we try to bring through day-to-day social engagement through content through twitter chats through polls through surveys you know these, these kind of tools stories live streaming that um really helps brands cement a relationship with with an audience you know I, I i tell you first of all i love the way you position that as well because you know you've really just described the whole point of relationship building online um you know you talk about thought leadership dialogue relationships the warmth of a relationship is really the currency that we're all dealing with and and you find out that you know when you advertise, you may get a lot of reach, a lot of people showing up to your ad, but the relationship is cold <laughs> when they show up and they don't know you, they don't care about you, they're just a little bit interested. But with influencer marketing, it seems as though the minute people show up, there's already some warmth. With organic, they, they looked for you, so there's already some warmth in that relationship. Are these sort of the tools that power how you create uh, uh, success for your clients? I think so. And I think it's about positive engagement and messaging and learning, frankly, and education. A lot of what uh, I do with clients is, frankly, educating the market on emerging technologies, applications, use cases. So it's, it's frankly, uh, when I say the positive side of social, we see the dark side of social in politics and in other areas. But the positive, positive side of social can be very uplifting in terms of where people get education and insights and learn and explore and grow. And uh, that's what I try to focus on is, is uh, th- those positive aspects. And, and really, um, you, you know, through that, I don't see any of the negativity, the harassment, the bullying, if you stick to those, those, uh, those topics and areas. So for me, social has been quite a, an uplifting experience and connecting with people and learning and education, discovery, meeting people like yourself. And, um, you, you know, 99% positive. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, in, you know, uh, in fact, I, I think, um, well, let me ask you, do you have any favorite stories uh, that, that are fun and positive from your experiences working with clients in the B2B social space? Yeah, I've, I've, um, I'm excited to have attended events together with, you know, a team of collaborators even big events like the AT&T Business Summit last fall, mm-hmm. where we were, we were able to uplift or, or push their reach and engagement on social and digital by a couple of thousand percent wow. over past years using a, a you know a, a, a network of of collaborators and through you know best practices and tools and content creation and live streaming and posting and live tweeting and blogging, um, and so. That's fun when you get to go to an event and put all of these different tools and techniques and tricks and hacks and, and so forth in, into practice. Mm-hmm. And when you can then, after the event, go and measure the impact um, in, in real data, it's, it's kind of uh, wonderful to participate in. 
and you know, helping someone get the message out, a message you can believe in. And I'm certainly a geek and a nerd, a techie <laughs> who believes in the things I'm out there uh, uh, espousing from 5G to Internet of Things to cool AI applications to robotics. So I'm, uh, I'm all in on emerging technology. So it's really cool to be a part of that sort of bleeding edge. No, and I, I can imagine that. In fact, um, I, I was wondering, when you talked about engagement earlier on, I think a lot of people, even in you know, big corporations, think of social as, well, let's just get an account on Facebook, get one on Instagram, let's get one on LinkedIn, <laughs> and let's, uh, let's post something once a week. You know, that's sort of what people understand social to be. When you say engagement, uh, where are you taking that? How, how does that really play out in, 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 in day-to-day life uh, for these businesses? Well, it's really about, uh, you know, sort of human-to-human dialogue in a way. It's about asking questions, posing questions on social, uh, replying to other people's posts or comments with questions or insights, uh, replying, uh, adding color commentary to, to what's happening in the news, um, you know, tagging folks and asking for their feedback. Um, you know, sharing insights. Uh, so it's all about create, uh, stimulating uh, conversations. You know, in, you used to talk about the water cooler. Yeah. You know, Twitter and some of these other platforms have, have become the new water cooler. So we don't stand around a water cooler much in the office these days. But these these conversations that happen and are existing on every topic, every industry, every keyword, buzzword. Um, and uh, it's a chance to jump in and participate in conversations and in turn open doors and uh, establish relationship and build an audience. Yeah. So that's what, what really engagement is. It's, um, it's uh, you know, something we used to do, uh, you know, in chat rooms and other places. It just happens that mm-hmm. people's attention is now on social. It's on Twitter. It's on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you kind of have to be where these uh, conversations are happening. You know, what do you say to people, by the way, this is fascinating, you know, and I I know many people might be excited, but some people might be skeptical. So what do you say to folks who are concerned of their reputation? I mean, for example, if you think about, if I say something to you at the water cooler, taking your example, right after I've said it, it's gone. It'll never be heard again by anyone else. So if I say something really bad, (laughs) right. really unfortunate. I might lose you as a friend, but nobody else is going to know that I'm such a terrible person. <laughs> right, exactly. So, on, But on social media, if I say anything, it is there for life. It's a digital imprint that's going to be on that medium unless someone d- deletes it. And it's a record of, of exactly what was said and your reputation follows you that way. What about people that are afraid of sort of being seen the wrong way through social media? Yeah, and that, that applies to many people, and there, there are fears that are, are warranted there. So I would suggest starting uh, with social listening. In fact, you know, on Twitter, you don't even have to have an account to go in and listen to conversations, to use Twitter search, which is an amazing des- uh, search destination. So whether your interest is in you know, uh, pet furniture or the Internet of Things, you can go and search on keywords and hashtags and topics and see what kind of conversations out there. See what kind of content. See who's who in the zoo. You know who's publishing, who's sharing. Yeah. And and by listening, you can learn. And ultimately, you might decide to jump in and, and participate in the conversation. But you know, just start by consuming and listening and learning. And as and when you're comfortable, uh, jump right in and start following and engaging. 
these are human human platforms. So, you know, you can focus on engagement with folks who are like-minded or perhaps, you know, you're comfortable with based on their profile and interests mm-hmm. and not worry about the rest of the noise, which is, you know, just ignore the 99% of the stuff you're really not interested in. Yeah, I love that uh, focus on social listening or maybe the separation of social talking to social listening. I I like to say that um, a lot of people think in terms of storytelling, but just as powerful is story listening. So, you know, I think we're we're sort of looking at the same thing. Yeah, my my son is is 14. His his sole interest in life is uh, the NBA and basketball. Mm -hmm. So he's on Twitter just for, you know, NBA Twitter, right? I mean, he has a single interest. He engages on that topic and he's fascinated by it. And, you know, these platforms are unique communities. Uh, everyone, whether it's Reddit or Quora or Medium, has a unique uh, audience, unique perspective, and there's unique content you just don't see anywhere else. So, um, you, you know, just putting aside content creation and engagement, just listening and learning on those platforms is, can be a tremendous tool personally and professionally. Yeah. You know, on that note, you mentioned um, Internet of Things, and there may be some people listening right now who have never heard that term. I happen to be, we can geek out on that because <laughs> I love those topics. In fact, Evan, I, asked, I used to work for a company um, called PTC, Parametric Technology Corporation. Oh, sure. Yeah, know them well. Yeah. yeah, Jim Heppelman was my boss. and Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. And they've gone on to be one of the pioneers of IoT. But for those people who are not you know, very versed on IoT. Would you mind giving us just a quick, here's what it really is. (laughs) Yeah, so the Internet of Things, it it sort of means the Internet in everything. It means every device in your home, um, medical devices in your doctor's or hospital setting, your car. I mean, every device that you can think of will be somehow connected to the Internet. And on one hand, that sounds scary. Uh, you know, why do I want to have everything from my wrist to uh, my wrist to my car to my home to my workplace connected? And and there are certainly uh, privacy and security concerns, but the opportunity is to create whole new businesses around connected devices. So new products and services that you can only dream of that will make your life more interesting, easier, entertaining, or healthier in the case of wearable technology, health technology, uh, connected sensors and connected medical devices. So, you know, it's, it's a fascinating area and it's one that really uh, is probably the biggest wave of new technology hitting us. We're all getting used to having smart home speakers and that's just the beginning in terms of everything coming on online and uh, the opportunities it create for new it presents for new business creation new services that you can only imagine and and frankly you know more safety security and health um uh through all kinds of connected wearables and wearable technologies so huge new area it's it's already hitting consumers the next wave is really hitting businesses and how they can become operationally more efficient and reduce costs and streamline organizations and improve manufacturing yields, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but both the consumer and the business side are, are equally being impacted. No, thank you for that example uh, or for clarifying what IoT means. And an example of that, I think, is imagine you walk into a, uh, uh, a retail store 
Um, and before you show up, it already knows who you are, what you like, uh, and everything about what you may like without a salesperson having to come over and bother you. <laughs> and then you, you could even say uh, something and the lights go on in your house or all, all those things just sort of, it's like a knowing internet, isn't it? <laughs> the beauty is there's, there's no end to the scenarios and the innovation that people are thinking up. And, um, you know, imagine a world where you're, you're in, a, in a AFib, uh, you're having early st stages of heart failure, heart problems, heart attack, and your Apple Watch uh, uh, alerts the, uh, the doctor yeah. or alerts you that there's an issue. And uh, by the way, that's, that's not even science fiction. That has happened several times where, yeah. you know, Apple Watches have warned of impending uh, heart uh, irregularities, uh, heart rhythms. And so all of this technology has tremendous upside. Some of the downsides are pretty scary uh, as well in terms of security and hackers and privacy. But uh, in life, we need to balance everything, the good and the bad. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, Evan, you know, obviously, this is the language of big ticket companies. These are the things that they would invest in, that they would care about. And we've talked about that being a deliberate focus of yours and mine. How do people who want to start going after big ticket clients take those first steps? I mean, do you have some secret sauce or strategies for successfully connecting with big ticket clients that may not work with, with regular, you know, smaller businesses? Do you have some strategies for how to connect with big ticket companies and clients? Well, we, you talk about big companies and yes, these companies might have hundreds of thousands of employees, but there is some one individual in a company or multiple who you need to find and connect with who has uh, a potential project or interest or uh, 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 plan that, that you can leverage. And so, you know, LinkedIn now has become the social graph of business, of the enterprise. And literally you can find any decision maker uh, based on LinkedIn search in the world. Yeah. And so I use LinkedIn as uh, a promotional tool, as a prospecting tool, a tool for clients and publishing. But you can literally find that one prospect or that one decision maker through doing LinkedIn research and approaching that individual and then going through other channels and, uh, and you know, tapping them on, uh, hitting them up on Twitter, hitting them up on, you know, their, their, frankly, their Facebook page. And so social media has opened doors to engagement and prospects and potential clients in ways that frankly didn't exist years ago. I mean, you, you know, you had to make a cold call or it was serendipity. You know, we ran into a person at a coffee shop or a networking event. And now that can be automated. It can be done at scale. Uh, instead of, you know, finding that one perfect client, you can find those 50 perfect client prospects and you can engage them in, in ways again, to, to, uh, to give them value first, maybe it's an appearance on your show or it's uh, uh, some insights into their business they might not have thought of, and then ask for a meeting or a briefing or a pitch. You know, when we were talking earlier, you gave me what I thought was a powerful, powerful, differentiated approach to getting big ticket clients. And, and what you said was, you got to give, 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 give <laughs> before you ask for something. Um, Tell us a little bit, a lot of people talking about, talk about giving before you get, but I think the way you sort of emphasize how much you have to give, it was differentiated. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I've, I, I would look at certain clients where I've engaged with them publicly on social media and at events and um, given them attention, given them feedback, given them 
visibility through social media for, frankly, years before I asked for anything or even knew to ask. And so by the time that ask came, um, we were sort of uh, intimately aware of each other. And so, you know, that could come in many forms. Um, it could come in the form of product, you know, doing product reviews or shout outs on social media or sharing their news and their content or uplifting or, or spotlighting someone or having them on a, a podcast like yours. But, you know, that, that act of giving is very powerful. And, and also the other thing is patience, uh, you know, having the patience to wait, you know, weeks and months, days, years, even uh, before an opportunity arises is important. Uh, everything in life is timing. And when it comes to big ticket clients, um, you need that patience to just wait for the right time while sort of keeping in touch. You know, I have to say that, you know, every once in a while you hear that million dollar advice and you may not realize that's what you just heard. What you've just said right now is so, so important. I, I can tell you that I've experienced this and I can tell you so many people quit just because the, the big ticket client they tried to talk to last week uh, said they weren't interested right now. <laughs> I mean, it's like, stop, have some patience, give this thing more than a week, right? So thank you for sharing that. If people could have the longer view with their bigger ticket engagements, I think you're right. They would be much more effective. Yeah, effective, and um, you know, it's it's more rewarding to focus on those those long term relationships and trying to build long term sustainable relationships versus going after the quick sale or the quick deal or the the quick hit. Yeah, uh, which we need to you know pay the bills next next week, but we also need to think about the next two, three, five years as well. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I enjoy about podcasting, uh, this is my little secret sauce, is that I get to learn from the absolute, absolute best in the industry. You've just given me a masterclass on a few things and I hope others learn from you. But we're kind of running out of time. I could talk to you for another hour. Oh, likewise. You're infectious and I, uh, <laughs> I look forward to uh, listening to more of the shows. So I I uh, congratulate you on your success. Well, thank you. Now, how can people reach you, um, Evan, if they want to either just learn more from you, engage, or maybe even uh, see if they, they can have you as a, a provider to help them out? Yeah, Twitter's the best place. Just go to at Evan Kirstel, uh, K-I-R-S-T-E-L, and uh, let's meet there. Okay. All right. So we'll have the Twitter handle in the uh, show notes. Evan, it has been a pleasure. Very educational. Thank you so much for being on the Big Ticket Clients podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Ticket Clients podcast. For more episodes and strategies, visit BigTicketClients.com. That's www.BigTicketClients.com. And remember, you can't catch a whale with a worm.